Welcome to Fusion Church's Sermon of the Week. Fusion Church is located in Wakanda, Illinois. We exist to complete and multiply people who passionately follow Christ. For more information, visit www.fusionchurch.com. Let's dive into this week's sermon. Well, hey, church family, I hope you're doing really well. I hope that you're healthy today. Hopefully you're connecting with some people either together in person or virtually. Uh, and, and man, I just miss seeing you all face to face, but I hope you're doing really well. Hey, we've been forgetting to do something the last couple weeks. When we started this whole recording thing, we were making sure that we were passing the peace to each other, kind of digitally texting and letting people know, hey, I love you, I miss you. And why don't you go ahead and do that this morning? Think of somebody who's not with you, maybe even who you know might be alone, and just send them a quick text and let them know, hey, I love you. I'm thinking about you. Uh, go ahead and do that right now. And I'm going to just dive right in while you do that because I know that you are capable of doing two things at one time. So I'm going to dive right into our message for today. So we have been in this series called Choose Love. And this is anchored in exchange in Luke chapter 10 that Jesus has with an expert in the law. This man comes to Jesus and asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus kind of questions back and forth, and they kind of land on this idea that, that really to inherit eternal life, to the meaning of life is really wrapped up in love. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. That that's the stuff of life. And so the first week of our series, we looked at that idea that really the whole thing is all about love. And so we've got to think about how are we people who are becoming love the way that Jesus talks about. Then last week, we picked up just on the, the man's second question. So Jesus says, yeah, love your neighbor as yourself. And the man asks then, well, who is my neighbor? And we unpacked this idea that what the man was trying to do, this expert in the law, was find a legal loophole to kind of figure out who do I get to exclude from my love? How do I shrink my heart and my, and my resources so that I'm loving a small group of people? And Jesus blows that up in the story that he tells of a good Samaritan, of a man who, despite all the, all the reasons why he shouldn't, actually helps a person in need and how the people who should have helped this man in need don't. There's a priest and a Levite who pass by a person in need, see that the man is hurting, see that the man is almost dead and don't help. But this good Samaritan does. He actually treats this person in need like his neighbor, even though he has every reason in the world not to. And Jesus says, go and do that. And so we looked at what, who is our neighbor last week and developing kind of an expansive view of how our love should be growing to include more people not less. That's what we looked at last week. This week, we're going to look at what is love. If love is supposed to be the thing it's all about, then we got to be a little bit more clear about what we mean when we talk about love. Now, I have to confess that all week long, as I was thinking about this, what is love, I kept having that old SNL skit uh, with, uh, with the Night of the Roxbury guys doing the head bob and the dance to the Hardaway song, the what is love. What is love? Hopefully I just planted a little earworm right now and that's going to be in your head the whole entire time I'm talking. Maybe not. If so, good. I'm glad. Uh, but what is love? We should talk about what love is. Love's a tricky word because we use it in all different kinds of contexts. Sometimes we use the word love as a noun. Sometimes we use it as a verb. It's something I do. 
Sometimes we use it more like an adverb or an adjective to describe something, an action or a feeling. Uh, we use it in all these different kinds of ways. And so it can kind of be confusing when we talk about love. What do I actually mean? And the truth is that the Bible actually has lots of different ways to talk about love as well. There are different words that are used for love. And maybe you've even heard a, a sermon series or have done a study on those different words that are used for love. And that's helpful. But a lot of times those words are interchangeable. And so it doesn't really give us a biblical definition of love. So it might be helpful for us to just spend a few minutes thinking about the way that we talk about love and the way that the Bible talks about love to kind of get a biblical definition or a picture of what love is. So we're going to look at just a couple different examples. And these are kind of layers of love that are going to get closer to what the Bible means, especially in this passage, what it means about love. So the first thing, sometimes we talk about love and it means to have preference or affinity, or an affection for something or someone. So when I say I love something, it means I really like that thing, and I like it more than other things. So for example, I love steak. In particular, I love ribeye. And I, given the choice, will prefer that over every other food. If you give me the options between ribeye and other things, 99.9% .9 of the time, I'm gonna choose steak because I love it. I love the way it tastes. I know maybe some of you are getting hungry just thinking about it. I know I am, but I absolutely love steak. I also really love my wife. I love Jen and I prefer her over every other woman on the planet, over every other person on the planet. I love her. I have affection for her. She brings me joy and delight in our relationship. Isn't it weird though to think about, I'm using the same word, I love something, to describe my feelings about steak and my feelings about Jen. I know some of you are worried I'm going to have problems watching this at home with Jen. Uh, it's going to be okay, I promise. I'm going to redeem myself in just a minute when I, by not comparing those two things. But isn't it funny to think about how we use the same word to describe our feelings about a food and our feelings about a person? that I have affection for both. And actually, I might make sacrifices for both. So I might give up a lot of money to buy a really good steak. However, hopefully I mean something different when it comes to my wife. That the level of sacrifice, the level of service that I would offer to my wife because of my affection and my love for her, my preference for her, is different than what I would for a steak. So I'm not going to lay my life down for a good steak. Although, man, there are times where I'm like, this is the best thing I've ever had. But it's very different than the love that I have for my wife. But I use the same word and there's a underneath it a same kind of basic undercurrent. I have affection for it. I love it. And there's something about this thing or this person that I love that brings me joy and delight. And because it brings me joy and delight, I'm willing to give more of myself to that thing or to that person because I love it, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. There's actually nothing wrong. That's actually a biblical picture of love, to have preference, delight, to have affection or affinity for something, and to give of ourselves or God to give of himself because of his preference, because of his joy, because of delight. There's not anything wrong with that. However, it's not a full picture of biblical love. 
If that's our definition of love, we're going to stop short of what loving our neighbor really is. And we're not going to be able to choose love the way we're trying to lean into in the series. However, that is oftentimes the way the world thinks um, about love. Now, maybe not on a deep level. If you're really to kind of pull a person about what love is, they probably would go a little bit deeper. But most of the world operates on this assumption that love is primarily my feelings about a thing because of the joy it gives me or because of the pleasure it gives me. It's very self-seeking. It's very self-serving. And that is not the fullest picture of love. So that's one layer. Another layer of love is to think about love as uh, something that we feel towards someone or a thing because of its own intrinsic value. So it's not just because um, uh, it's what something can do for me or how it makes me feel, but it's actually when I recognize that this, this thing or this person has their own value and actually it evokes a feeling of love or appreciation for it in its own right. It's not because of anything it will do for me. This is like a little bit more of a tricky one, but probably the easiest way to think about it is the love of a parent for a child. So parents love their kids oftentimes because of the cute things that they do or because of their personalities and those kinds of things. And certainly our kids bring us delight for those of us who are parents, they bring us joy. But there's actually something quite different about loving as a parent that we actually discover uh, unique things about our kid, the way that God has designed them that's unique to them. And we begin to grow in our appreciation of just who they are apart from how they make us feel. And actually growing in love as a parent looks like uh, being less concerned about how our kids make us feel and the joy and delight they give us because of the way they interact with us and all those kinds of things and more joy and delight and just who they are, that we actually desire their flourishing, their well-being just because we appreciate who they are. That is another layer of love. And actually for, for me, I'm gonna redeem myself now with the whole stake and gen thing. That was when I began to have that feeling for Jen was the moment that I realized that I wanted to marry her. And for those of you who don't know our story, um, Jen and I dated for a little while. Bottom line, I was a jerk. I was just a jerk. And we broke the relationship off or I broke things off. And I was insistent that we maintained friends, that we maintain our friendship. And we did. We, we stayed friends as awkward and weird as it was. We, we stayed friends for a little while. And over the course of our friendship, there was no, nothing romantic going on at all. Um, I actually discovered lots of things about Jen that I hadn't seen before that I just really appreciated about her as a person. And actually, I didn't receive any benefit from them, so it wasn't like I was the recipient of her love. I just started to think, man, this, this woman is awesome. This girl is incredible. And I began to grow in my love and appreciation for just who she is, regardless of what it meant for me. And actually, I, you know, long story short, in a moment kind of of craziness, I guess you could say, I actually kind of came to this place where I didn't care whether or not she felt the same way about me. I didn't care whether or not she would reciprocate those feelings. I just wanted her to know that at some point in life, someone loved her the way that I loved her. Someone appreciated her the way that I appreciated her. 
And so I was willing to kind of put my own feelings at risk and just kind of throw caution to the wind. And so I confessed all of this before, uh, to her right before we jumped in a car with a bunch of people to go on a trip and we had no time to process this at all. Like, I was just like, hey, I just want you to know I love you and I'm head over heels for you. These are the things I love for you. I, I fully expect that you won't feel the same way. You have no reason to feel that way about me, but this is how I feel about you. And in that moment, I discovered I feel like what love really was. And I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back. I'm just giving you an example of what I'm talking about here. Now, that is a layer that's a little bit closer to biblical love because that is how God feels about his creation. The creation and and us as human beings are his masterpiece. We are his handiwork. And when he looks on the earth, he says, it is good. And his love and his affection for the world is because he sees the intrinsic value in what he has created as image bearers of God. He sees us as lovable even when we don't love him. And actually, that gets closer to something here in the story of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan comes along and helps this person, expresses love to this person in need, not because of any benefit to himself. So the help he offers to this person in need, he's not doing it because he's getting anything out of it. He's helping a person because this person is in need and they need his help. There's actually something about him that's moved to love, to seek the well-being of this person without any benefit to himself. It's not about what he gets out of it. It's about what he can give. And that moves us closer to a biblical definition of love. A third kind of example, and here's where we're going to really get to it, which is love that's not about our preference. It's not about love about because of something having intrinsic value. So I don't just see value in it and I love it because I see it as valuable. But actually, it's love that is the opposite of that. That despite there being every reason not to love, I still choose love. That is a deeper level of love. That's actually more to the point of the Good Samaritan in the story. So the man who is injured in the story, who is hurt, is more than likely, although Jesus doesn't say it explicitly, a Jewish man. And as I mentioned last week, the Samaritans and Jews didn't like each other. The Samaritan man passing this person in need had every reason in the world to not want to help this person. Uh, they, the, the Jewish man would have viewed uh, the Samaritan as less than, and actually there are kind of some, some indications that actually even Jewish people would refuse help from Samaritans if they could, because they saw them as so much less than, so much as other. And so this Samaritan man has every reason in the world to not want to be a neighbor, to not help this man in the time of need, but he does. That gets us closer to a biblical definition of love. Jesus said that no greater love has anyone than this, than he would lay his life down for his friends. That's the high watermark of love. But actually, we learn from the teaching of Jesus more broadly that it actually goes beyond that. It's not just about loving our friends. It's actually also about loving our enemies. So Luke chapter 6, Jesus tells his disciples, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. There is nothing like this in the ancient world. This sounds familiar to us, but this was radical craziness to all of the world around Jesus to love 
your enemies is absolutely insane. To love people despite their hurt and pain that they have offered me, despite their not having any intrinsic worth or value, that is absolutely insane in the, in the, in the, in the time of Jesus. And really it is for us. But here's the truth, that that kind of love is actually at the heart of the gospel. It's at the heart of who God is. It is the high watermark of love. So for example, Romans chapter five. Oh, my notes just went crazy on me here. Romans chapter five, verse eight. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Just a couple verses later, it's going to call us enemies of God. What's the point? The point is that God loved us and he demonstrates his love, what love actually looks like for us in this way, that while we were actually unworthy of his love because we were his enemies, we were pushing him away, he still pursued us and gave his life for us. Ephesians chapter 2 says something similar that because of his great love for us, uh, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace we have been saved. This is the good news of the gospel that even though there was every reason not to offer us help, for Jesus not to step in and offer his life for our sake, he does it anyway. That is incredibly good news and that is closer to what biblical love is all about. That is the kind of love that according to this story in the Good Samaritan, we are called to love our neighbor with, to be the kind of people who love people in that way, regardless of their worth, regardless of their value, regardless of what they can do for us, to love them just as God has loved us. It might be helpful then for us to like, kind of narrow it down to a definition. So those are some different examples. And so one of those definitions that's helpful for me is kind of like a hybrid from one uh, from, the, from the, the great thinker Dallas Willard. And this is basically what he says, that to love means this, desiring and actively seeking the well-being of someone. Loving means this, it means desiring and actively seeking or pursuing the well-being of someone and would add regardless of my preference for them, regardless of their worth. doesn't matter. Desiring and seeking the well-being of someone. And not just, uh, not just a general feeling about people in overall, but actually people around whom I have some ability to actually demonstrate that love to. So let's break that down just a little bit. This has to do with uh, not just feelings, not just a feeling of love or an emotion of love, but desiring or, or the well-being of a neighbor. In this story, the Good Samaritan uh, doesn't just have a feeling of love for a person. He actually really wants to see that person be well. So he actively participates in their healing. He couldn't just pass up a man in need. He actually was concerned about their well-being. We think about love often as a feeling, but it's actually more than that. It's about human flourishing. It has to do with action. So I'm actively seeking. So love that is not moved to action is not love, according to Jesus. The priest and the Levite in the story, no matter how holy and noble they were, were not loving towards the man in need because they did not act when they had the opportunity to. They didn't, love doesn't look like, hey, I hope you get well soon. It looks like I'm going to actively join in your healing. I'm going to actually serve you. 
And it's rooted in a desire. So it's not just coming uh, just to, in an act of service, but actually I really desire the well-being of person. It's not something that we do begrudgingly or because we have to. It's something that comes from us. I want to see this thing or this person flourish. That gets us closer to a biblical definition of love, to desire and actively pursue or seek the well-being of another. And again, not just people I like, not just people... Uh, because I'll benefit from serving them, but actually loving people in this way, in this definition, simply because it's the right thing in the right moment. I don't know about you, but that feels like a really crazy high standard (laughs) to think about love in those kinds of terms. It feels um, like maybe we could agree with it, but how do I actually do that? How do I become that kind of person? How do I grow in that? The truth is that love on this definition, growing in biblical love on this definition, is not something we just do. It actually has to flow out of who we are. If you go all the way back to the very first message we did in this series, it said love isn't just something we do. It's actually something we're meant to become. We are meant to become love. Love like this flows out of who we are. It's something we do because it flows out of who we are. So the question then is not so much how do we do it, but how do we become people who love in this way? How do I grow into the kind of person who desires and seeks the well-being of another person? It kind of reminds me of, um, uh, this this is kind of a funny example, but whenever I go to, uh, there's a a place that we go to on vacation with our family. And uh, there's an island where there's some wild ponies on this island. And there are signs everywhere around this island that um, say wild ponies kick and bite. Because that's what they do to protect themselves. If you get too close to the pony, it will bite or it will kick you. And inevitably, there are people who don't pay attention to these signs and think that for some reason that sign does not apply to me. And so they'll get close to these ponies and try to feed them or pet them. And and every year, multiple times a year, people get kicked by these ponies and they get bit by those ponies because it is their nature. It is what they do. However, those ponies actually, once a year, they take some of those ponies off the island and they take them away, they auction them off and they go to different farms and those ponies become domesticated. They actually, someone teaches them how to be like a domesticated horse or pony so that people can ride them and so that kids can be around them and all this other kind of stuff. How do you go from that, this wild, unruly thing that's nature is to kick and bite, to be something that can be used in a kid's birthday party, right? How, how does that happen? Well, the truth is that there, everything has the opportunity to grow and change. So just because you're not the kind of person who is loving now, who fits this definition of love, you shouldn't feel defeated. You actually should just say, okay, how do I lean in and become this kind of person that I can become. So here's the way we grow, okay? I I wish we had more time to dig into this, uh, really talk about spiritual growth right now, but it's just not the place for that. Let me just give you a basic idea that we grow outside in and inside out. We grow from 
external things coming at us and internal things coming out of us. It's this reciprocal process. If you really wanted to dig into this, I would encourage you to read Dallas Willard's Renovation of the Heart. It's an incredible book. It's going to really help you understand the nature of spiritual formation and growth. I hear Krista giving an amen somewhere at home. This is a book I know that she, that she really likes. So we grow outside in and inside out. So let's think about outside in. Here's what I mean. If we want to grow in love and love for our neighbor, we want to grow in this biblical picture of love, we're going to actually have to find a neighbor and find some needs and serve in a loving way. I know that might seem counterintuitive. It might seem like we have to get our heart stuff right first and then go and serve. But what I have found and what people have found throughout the centuries is that we actually grow in doing And so what that means is that when I am with my neighbors in need and I serve them, I love them in these these kinds of acts of service, that actually something begins to change in me as I am serving them. So for example, um, for a lot of the last kind of hundred years, young people have gone on short-term missions trips. And I recognize there are some challenges with that. Over the last few decades, people recognize that that may not always be the best thing for the people that we're going to. However, there is this incredible benefit in us serving others and us going and doing service projects and loving people and being around other people. It actually does something to us as much as it does for the people we serve. And that is really valuable. Actually, we learn how to love people and appreciate people and grow in our love and our capacity for other people to desire the well-being of people when we see the needs. When we humanize people, not as a, as a person who's a part of a group who has a problem, but as a person who is in need of love and attention, who needs the hands and feet of God in their life right now. And so if you want to grow in love, you got to serve. There's just no way around it. You're going to have to find a neighbor and meet the need of your neighbor. You're going to have to actively pursue it. There's just no way around it. And I know that that's not a very, um, uh, how should I say, uh, like a deep way of thinking about this, but I'm just telling you it works. That if you will posture your heart and, and put yourself in the position of actually being around People, people in need, to be aware of what the, the needs are of your neighbors, both those who are like you and those who are not like you, if you will actually do that, get your hands dirty, so to speak, in serving people, actually something can happen and change and transform in our heart where we actually grow in love for our neighbor. It is not going to change simply by sitting on a couch and thinking about loving our neighbor, thinking about the good things we could do. Actually, at some point in time, we just have to do it. You can find all different kinds of ways to do this and practical. Uh, Help us out with Big Table, our ministry that we have at Tuesday that gives food to people. Help out at Faith Acre, serve at Love Inc., go to Feed My Starving Children. These are just a few examples of some things that are easy, low-hanging fruit for us to jump in and serve our neighbors. And there's probably lots more that we can think about. But just dive in and start being with your neighbors and seeing the need and serving. All that said... It's possible to do all of that and actually not love. It is possible to do that and not love. So it can't just be outside in. It can't just be what we do externally. We do have to do the internal things too. The Apostle Paul says, I could give away all that I have to the poor, but if I don't have love, it doesn't mean anything. 
in 1 Corinthians 13. And so we've got to do the inside work too. So on the one hand, what happens to us internally is something that's beautiful and mysterious and supernatural. It is something that God does to us, uh, that he brings to us in, in his Holy Spirit, in the transformation that he brings to us. So uh, love is both a gift of the Spirit in Corinthians and a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. It is it's both. So it's something that is a gift to us and that is given to us. However, in almost every context where Paul or someone else talks about love, there is a responsibility on us to actually cultivate love internally. That it's not an automatic thing that we will be, become loving people just because God has put his love in our hearts as a deposit. So we've got to do some internal work too. And this is tricky because we're talking about a fundamental change that has to happen in us, like those wild ponies. So go against our natural nature to step into the new nature that Christ has given us. And so how do we do that? Well, again, I wish we had more time to dive into this, but here, let me give you just the simplest, easiest way to think about this. A good starting place for us to think about how do I change? How do I grow in love? Is to simply hold out a picture in our mind, hold out a vision of what a loving person looks like. What does that actually look like? What does it mean to be this kind of person who loves in this way? We've got to have a target to aim for in our mind. What does that look like? And the best target to aim for, I think, is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where we get this sketch of what love actually is. Here's what it says, 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. What a beautiful picture of love. It's interesting, though, because we tend to read those phrases and we make love this kind of abstract, romantic thing. But these qualities of love are embodied and concrete in people. So these aren't just things that happen like in some mysterious force. It's people who show love in these ways, who are the people who always trust, always hope, always perseveres. So what that means for us is this is a picture of what a loving person looks like. This is the kind of person we want to become. And let me just say, this is the kind of person that God wants us to become. So this isn't just kind of a a target for us to aim for, some lofty goal that we should set as kind of a personal reference point. Like, oh man, this is the goal for my life. No, this is God's heart and design for you. This is what he has given you the Holy Spirit so that you could become a person like this. So how does this actually work? Well, I think what we do as we hold up this picture, love is kind, love is patient, it doesn't envy, it doesn't both. We hold this picture up and say, okay, that is what love is supposed to look like. And then we begin to orient our thoughts, our hearts, uh, our thoughts, our words, and our actions around that picture of what love is. We orient our heart, uh, our thoughts, our words, and our actions around that picture. Here's what I mean. Um, uh, When we want to go somewhere on a trip, 
Oftentimes what we'll do is we'll pick a destination point on a map, right? We'll put a pen in it or we'll, we'll type it in our phone now. Most of us don't use maps on the regular, right? We're using our GPS on our phone, but we pick a target destination. We say, that's where I wanna go. And then what we do is we figure out where we are or your phone figures it out for you. And then you're trying to figure out how do I get from where I am to where I wanna go? And everything in between is oriented between these two paths, between these two points, these fixed points, where I am and where I wanna go. And as you go towards that point, you're gonna make a left-hand turn, you're gonna make a right-hand turn, you're gonna, you're gonna turn here, you're gonna turn there, all so that you can end up at this destination. And if you get off course a little bit, your GPS will say recalculating, and it will help you to navigate back to the path where you need to to get to that destination. Sometimes what will happen is like you miss the, the GPS telling you to take a turn and you end up like way, has that ever happened where you end up like way, you're like an hour off the map, you didn't realize it, you've been driving the wrong way for a while. And so you have to take kind of drastic measures to get back on path so that you can get to your destination. But the goal is to get closer to that destination. I think that love and growing in love and growing spiritually actually looks a little bit like this. We chart a course based off of the picture that God has. That's our destination point. The, that, that vision of love is what God wants for us. And we say, okay, that's where I need to go. And then I have to look at where am I right now? Where is my heart related to that? Am I a loving, kind, patient person? Do I keep record of wrongs? And then what we do is we begin to say, okay, what is it going to take for me to get from here to there? And here's the good news is you're not left up to your own to figure this stuff out. Actually, this is the role of the Holy Spirit in your life to help you conform to the word, to help you grow, to look like something that looks more like this picture, which is ultimately a picture of Jesus, to help us become more like Jesus. And so what that looks like practically is to say, gosh, I look at this picture and I see how far I am. I, and, and I invite the Holy Spirit to come in and I say, help me to grow here. Show me how I'm not being patient. Show me how I'm not being kind. Lord, would you help me to not keep a record of wrongs? I realize that. I realize I've done that. And then there are times where we're, as we pursue this, as we try to grow in love, we recognize we're going to get off the path a little bit. We're going to take a left turn when we should have taken a right turn. And the Holy Spirit is like that voice of the GPS and say, recalculating, bring us back to where we need to get. I think that is the picture for us. And, and here, I'm willing to make a bold statement here. I am, I am willing to guarantee you that if you hold out this picture of love, of what love actually looks like, and you are willing to invite the Holy Spirit regularly, daily, not just like a one-time kind of thing, to help guide you towards that destination, I guarantee you, you will begin to look more like that picture of love. You will get closer to the destination that you want to have. You will grow to become a person who desires and actively seeks the well-being of other people on a regular basis. You will. I'll give you a money-back guarantee on it. There is no question. And the reason why I can be so confident of that is because I know it's what God wants for you. And, and more than you want to become a loving person, a person that looks like this, a person who chooses love, God wants that for you even more. He's more invested in this. He gave his own life. He's given you his spirit. He's more invested in this than you are invested in the process. So all we have to do is hold up that picture and say, Lord, help me become more like that. That's it. I guarantee 
that that is that will happen for you over time. Again, not overnight. It's going to take some time, but I know that that is what God wants for you. I know what God wants for us is to get to the place where if we were to take out the word love out of that passage in Corinthians and put in our name. So Chael is patient. Chael is kind. Jen does not envy. Jen does not boast. If you were to put your name in there, it would be a description of who you are, not just a description of love. One commentator says that is exactly the goal that we ought to aim for, that these are the qualities that we have as people and that out of that grows the kind of things that we do. That's God's heart for us. So this week's practice is going to be posted uh, in the the YouTube description as well on the Facebook, and it's going to be based off this exact idea. So I want to encourage you to look at that and to practice that individually and as a community and see if we don't grow into being the kind of person who is this kind of love of this kind of person who loves, a person who chooses love consistently. And let's be that kind of people this week. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will just add power to the word that's been spoken. Your word, not my word, Lord, your word. And I pray that you'd move in the hearts and the minds of every person who's watching or listening to grow in the likeness of Jesus, to become love. I pray, Lord, that you would do this, and I pray, Lord, that you would let our light shine in the darkness so that people will magnify and glorify the name of Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope that you are encouraged by this week's sermon. For more information, visit us at our website, www.fusionchurch.com, or you could find us on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great week.